Hello and welcome to another Slap Top Podcast. This is Amanda and today we're wrapping up our little death series with the talk with Father Hayes. I hope you guys enjoy. Well, I'm Father Jim Hayes, SJ. I'm a chaplain here at Holy Cross. I've been working here for 22 years. I'm also a graduate of Holy Cross. In fact, this year is my 50-year reunion. Oh. And um, my uh, class was the last class of an all-male school. Okay. So that's our claim to fame. <laughs> but in speaking about death, it's getting closer. Uh, you know, my father died at 75 and my mother died at 95, so mm-hmm. I figure I ought to aim for 85 <laughs> at least um, to really start thinking about it. But, you know, I think everyone has some sort of existential fear about yeah. death because it's unknown and no one, you know, can tell us. But, you know, Jesus went through death to life and promises that to us and um, so I think it's just going through a door yeah and um, I believe we will no longer be conditioned by time or Mm -hmm. space we will be completely spirit Um, and I am very one of my mottos is it's not my words it's a, a Russian by the name of Nicholas Berdyev Treat the dead as if they're alive and treat the living as if they're dying, you know. Can you imagine if we treated everyone as yeah. if, you know, how much more respect we would oh, have yeah. for our uh, neighbors and uh, colleagues and friends and people on the street. So um, I am very conscious of people who have died and I often commune with them and ask for their help and their mm-hmm. intercession. And um, um, I had an incident just last week. Uh, I was visiting my nephew, um, who's now an adult, and he never knew his father, my brother, yeah. because my brother died while he was in the womb. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, his mother met a wonderful man, yeah. so he had a family life. And yeah. So we were at um, his son's baseball game, and his son was the closer pitcher. Yeah. We were winning six to five, and um, he walked two people. <laughs> and then someone got a hit, so the bases were loaded. So I started praying to my brother, his grandfather, who he never knew, and he struck out three people. So yeah, treat the dead as if they're alive and uh, treat the living as if they're dying. So I am looking forward to, you know, it's wonderful to have friends on earth, Yeah. but it's even better to have friends in heaven. <laughs> and when you reach my age, you have yeah. a lot of friends in heaven, and I'm really looking forward to that reunion with my parents, with my brother, with my classmates, with my neighbors, all the people who have gone ahead of me. Yeah. My brother Jesuits, particularly. Oh, okay. You know? 
many of whom are buried in that cemetery yeah. out there. So another way of, you know, uh, I think the Buddhists say, I think, you know, the Buddha says, just a change of clothes, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I really believe we live forever, you know. Mm -hmm. We just, we're transformed. And, okay. um, but it does make a difference how you live your life. And I believe God is love. So the more loving we can be toward one another, um, the happier we'll be yeah. on earth and in the next life, you know. So that's my initial yeah. thought about death. Yeah. Um, and in my class specifically, we do talk a lot about like what it means to have a good death. Mm -hmm. um, like especially looking throughout history, in the past it had been you know a much quicker death. Right. Usually you were younger. Mm -hmm. um, it was sudden. No right. one knew. It just happened. Mm -hmm. um, and nowadays we're really seeing this really long medicalized death. Yes. A lot of people are dying in hospitals and. Um, you know, I believe it was in the early 70s, like the, the death positive movement came back. Mm -hmm. um, and there, and recently as well, there have been a lot of um, like death midwives and doulas mm -hmm. that have been, you know, appearing in this sort of career in this profession to kind of guide people through it and bring it back to center around who it is that's going and not necessarily just those around them. Um, and what it looks like to them. So I don't know if you have any idea, but what do you think a, a good death is? Well, I, I think it is important to alleviate pain as much mm -hmm. as possible. Um, so people who have cancer or stroke or ALS or, mm -hmm. you know, where they have this diminishment of their bodily functions... I think it's so important that they can do that without pain, you know, and some, you really wonder, I mean, some people do die suddenly yeah. and other people have these long deaths. In yeah. fact, a friend of mine just contacted me that his brother, who was a renowned surgeon and had a stroke and really has been dying for three years, and in the last nine months he's been bedridden and he can't communicate or anything. But they're from India originally, and um, my friend got the idea of bringing in an Indian instrument and playing it and watching his brother smile and beam, yeah. even though he couldn't say. Um, so every time he went, he would play the instrument, and, and it, was, it was a joy for him to see him give. So it's just a mystery how... Some people die suddenly, and some people have a long, slow death, and, um, you know, we have no control over these exactly. things. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And in terms of um, using Catholicism to understand, like, the happenings in the world, um, mm -hmm. a question that I had also asked Annie and um, Luis was, because um, I know it can vary from person to person mm -hmm. and how they feel about their religion, but what, what do you see as not necessarily an explanation, but a why as to when we have um, wars and a lot of innocent people, you know, end up getting killed um, or dying 
as collateral of that, you know, mm-hmm. there's an accident that happens that I know something shouldn't have happened. Someone gets hit by a car, you know, someone, you know, jumps in water, they hit their head, like things like that, that don't seem to have an explanation. Um, Through Catholicism, like, would there be a why? I believe that, you know, the greatest gift God has given us is our freedom. Yes. And, you know, we exercise that freedom. In various ways. And when my brother was killed in Vietnam... Mm -hmm. You know, he had only recently been married. It was such a joyous wedding and everything. And I I said that, I mean, I just said, I, I didn't think anything would ever happen to him. Whereas both my parents were worried about him. Yeah. I wasn't. I, I just said, he's going to be fine, you know. So my faith was shaken. But I remember saying, God, how could this happen? And I heard God say to me, Vietnam was not my idea. Yeah. <laughs> It's our, we do it, you know? And I believe that God wants to accompany us in these tragedies, crises. Yeah. Yeah. And help us, assist us, you know? Um, It's so important for, for the caregivers and the family members to support and love someone in their need. And that's where God gives us strength, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I just did the funeral of a classmate of mine from Holy Cross just last Saturday, and he had had pancreatic cancer, and he had, you know, for many people, that's a very quick death. Yeah. But he had it for 16 months, and he really made the most of his life. Um, he has three daughters and eight grandchildren, and a wonderful wife and they were also loving and supportive to him and he did say to his wife at one point I never thought death would be so painful you know so I don't know whether he wasn't getting sufficient yeah. medication or what but um, so but it was such a grace for the family to be there he loved the rosary and they would all yeah. pray the rosary together around his bedside, you know. And it's important for young people to see death as... Exactly. You know, these eight grandchildren to see someone die, you know. I had another friend whose mother had, you know, had to be on dialysis, and it reached the point where that was no longer working. And um, so my friend's little daughter was like five, and... (laughs) She ran in at one point. She said, is Grandma dead yet? And Grandma said, stick around. It won't be long. You know, I mean, I think to have humor. Exactly. To, to make it natural, you know. I mean, it is. Yeah. It is, yeah. Yeah. So, so I think one of the most important things we can do really is to keep vigil with someone mm-hmm. who is dying. And, you know, I was with my father and my mother when they died and it was such a privilege such a privilege you know I just feel so grateful for that Um, and they had one was in the hospital one was at home but um, you know it was a slow process Yeah. yeah 
so I forget what else we are. I, I forget too, yeah, but yeah. it's it's going. Um, I was going to say actually, so I was actually speaking with um, Annie about this, and she had said that one thing that she wishes was a little bit different about funerals is that, um, like, let's say a member of, of, you know, someone in your, like, church passes away. She believed that, like, even if you didn't know them personally, yes. if you were a part of that church, a part of that community, yes. that you should go. You know, you should go um, to the funeral, to the celebration of life, um, to offer support to the family, to offer support for those that are still there, that are still a community of your church. Um, and she saw that that was something that wasn't necessarily always present and wasn't always seen and that sometimes, you know, like the, the death would be used in different ways and not necessarily as a gathering of community to bring more love, to bring more support. Yes. You know, there was a, a doctor that we, he wasn't my doctor, but he was, my brother had pneumonia, so he he treated him and he was a wonderful doctor and he died kind of suddenly and I I know his widow really struggled with that so so she made a point to go to almost every funeral after that just to be there to support yeah. and I I think it brought her comfort comfort you know to and it is one of the works of mercy to to bury the dead and that's why I when anyone says they don't want to have a celebration I think this is important this, yeah. these rituals are so important to do and and you know last week my friend it was the church was packed yeah I mean, he was so beloved and it's beautiful to yeah, see yeah it really was and, and they you know they had a really nice reception afterwards and um, yeah it was a it was a celebration you know so that's really important that that we show up for one mm -hmm. another, that we support one. And but I, I mean those moments are important. But I think down the road, in the, that's why I run Good Grief, you know, because I, it's so important because people don't want to talk about it, you know. Exactly. And um, and yet we need to keep telling our story, you know, and keep the person alive and. Um, so I think people get a lot of support at the time of the death and at the time of the funeral, but then afterwards, that's when they really need support. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you see any other, because there's a concept, um, not, not that recently, but it's starting to come back now, part of the death positive movement called um, death cafes. And there have been a few here in Worcester years prior before the pandemic where um, cafes or establishments will have like a given day that they set to have something called the death cafe where you know anyone can show up, you know, and you drink tea and you have cookies and you talk about death and, you know, and you can talk about anything you want concerning death, whether you lost a loved one or you just want to listen, or you know, you're curious, or you have questions, and part of that is to really bring like what you're saying, to make it a part of regular conversation, to make it a part of something that's normal, something that should be discussed, um, 
to get people more used to it and more comfortable with it as it, you know, it is inevitable. And I feel like the more you talk about it, the more understanding you can get from it. Um, I don't know if you see any other like opportunities for events like this or situations like this to take place. Well, I think that's a wonderful idea. Yeah. I, I have not wit been exposed to oh, it. Oh, I, I will send you the link. <laughs> yeah. um, but it just sounds like a, a, a great, just a great exercise for people to do. And I'm wondering if, it, if it's catching on. And it, it was starting to um, in other places in the country more than others. Um, another thing that has been catching on is a lot of people have been going to the trainings to become a death midwife or a death doula. Um, but oftentimes the people that attend the trainings aren't for them to practice, but for them to gain their own understanding of someone that's passed mm -hmm. or of understanding how to comfort themselves or how to comfort their friends and family who have also lost someone. Mm -hmm. um, so I definitely think that people want to talk about it in a way. They want to start exploring it more and they're being more um, like overt about it. Mm -hmm. But I don't necessarily know if like on a college campus mm -hmm. or in a place like Worcester that's something that gained as much traction as it did in other places. Um, I believe there have been like two or three in Worcester, I want to say, mm -hmm. before the pandemic, but I'm not quite so sure about now. Well, speaking of the pandemic, you know, um, we've just marked the one million persons who have died from COVID. And many of those deaths, they weren't, they weren't able to have the rituals, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so that made it very hard, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah. Not to be able to. In fact, um, I did a funeral in September of a father and a son. And the father died very suddenly of a heart attack. And the son was dying of cancer. So... And then they waited a whole year after mm -hmm. the son's death before they had the funeral. And that got a huge turnout, too. So it's just so important to have these rituals, you know. But anything that's going to open up conversation, I'm all for. Are these doulas or midwives, are they connected to hospice at all? or? So actually, most of them came from the, they used to be hospice workers. Okay. And the institutional practices of hospice mm -hmm. and the way that it ran, they felt that it didn't do enough justice to those that were dying. Mm -hmm. um, like there was a lot of bureaucracy involved mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. took away from the idea that, you know, someone's going to leave us. You know, yes. we're trying to give them support and help and yet you need to document every little conversation you have. That's right. You need to do this, this, That's and that. Right. You know, like there, there was a lot that they felt was impeding it. So actually a lot of these people are people that used to be in the hospice mm -hmm. um, environment or institution and decided to leave and become their own private, you know, workers mm -hmm. because of that, because they felt that it wasn't doing what it should do. I, I've heard that about hospice. Yes. It's so 
so much paperwork. I know, yeah. I know. It's 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 really hard. Um, another topic that I also usually like to ask in these interviews is about um, suicide and how I know traditionally the Catholic Church um, has you know said you know like it, it is a sin, it is wrong. Um, but how do you think that? The idea is that, of course, mental health is a huge part of it, um, and whether or not the person is even in the capabilities to make the choice that they have made, um, and whether or not that takes away from the responsibility or the agency that they did, in fact, have during it. Um, what, what do you personally think about? Well, I, and I think the church is, agrees with this, that you know anyone who commits suicide is not well, yes. you know, that it's that a mental illness mm -hmm. or, or something has caught, I mean, one of my closest friends took his own life and yeah. I just, but as I look back now, I, I realized that he was depressed and he wasn't getting treated, you know, yeah. like so many men oh, yeah. refuse to acknowledge it. And you know, he was such a good man, such a wonderful husband and father and son and brother and friend. Yeah. You know, I mean, one moment. Exactly. Um, so I think the church is, you know, realizing that... It's changing, yeah. Yeah, that this, um, this is not something a well person chooses to do. Um, and, you know, he's somebody that, since his death, there's been so many good things that has come into this family, yeah. you know, that I always say, see, he's working, he's helping, <laughs> he's assisting you, you know. Yeah. I mean, I did his daughter's wedding, and she had quadruplets born at 23 weeks. Wow. And they're all thriving oh wow they're seven years old and, and it was crazy it was touch and go and that is crazy yeah so i think twins would be a lot before <laughs> wow so yes i i do not believe that well you can't judge exactly you can't judge you don't know what what was going through their minds. And the other thing that I often talk about is that, you know, there's so many people that have had a near-death experience, and they're always talking about going toward the light, yeah. you know? And then something happens, and, you know, they're allowed to return, and, you know, I think we're just called to the light, you know? Mm -hmm. And I know, like, as you've been talking during this, um, do you, so, do you believe that those that have passed do still have influence in our daily lives and that they can affect things that are going on um, in I, the world? I believe it. I believe it. And is that something that comes from the Bible and comes from Catholicism, or is that something that... Well, it's, it's what we call the communion of saints, you know, that we're all, we belong to this this communion you know mm -hmm. some have died 
some are canonized saints and some are living, you know, and we invoke them. We ask for their help because they know what we're going through. They, mm-hmm. They've been through they the journey, you know, and so it's kind of having an intuition about who to turn to for what, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, certain saints, St. Jude is patron of hopeless cases. St. Anthony helps you find things, you know. I mean, people, saints get reputations for things, but I I like the the saints I've known and loved, you know, and I call upon them, too, you know. Because I know in Brazilian culture, at least, a very, very Catholic country, um... We have a saint for everything. Yeah. For absolutely everything. Um, but people don't always um, like pray to or ask for help from those that they knew. Right. Personally, it's it's more often than not these saints that, yes. as a whole, as a general, right, the population will pray to. But something at least that I find interesting and like at least looking at funerals mm-hmm. in America versus Brazil is that. Here, everything takes, um, it takes longer. Like, let's say someone passes away on a Sunday, it'll be a week, if not longer, until you have a right. funeral, right. until you have some kind of gathering. Um, and in Brazil, everything is extremely immediate. Mm-hmm. It's someone passes away on a Sunday, you immediately get a call, doesn't matter what you're wearing, everyone goes to the house wow. to be with the family. Um, and they will be buried the next day mm-hmm. and then, you know, they'll have a service at the church and it's mm-hmm. all in, it's in within the same, within the three days. Mm-hmm. So I just find it very interesting how here it's, it's very much process and it very much takes a while versus there. Um, I feel like it, in a way it can feel more natural mm-hmm. because it's just, you drop everything and go. Like, no one cares what you're wearing. No one cares if you're not all black or, um, you know, if you're not wearing the appropriate whatever. It's just you drop it and you go. Um, And I was wondering if, because I don't know if you have a lot of experience in other cultures, but do you think that there's any, like, pros and cons, I guess, in doing it the American way and in waiting? Because I feel like oftentimes funerals here tend to be not as emotional because you've had the time to process it. Um, and in Brazil, it's very much a rush of emotions. You mm-hmm. just found out and we're grieving together mm-hmm. in, in the same day, in the same moment. And you go through those feelings together and you talk about it together versus here. I feel like it becomes very individualized or within your own family groupings. Mm-hmm. And then you come together later on once you've already had a chance to process it so i was wondering if you yes and i you know more and more people are being cremated yes and um so there isn't the urgency because of that um our muslim and our jewish brothers and sisters that i mean they try to bury them before yeah. sundown and part of it is sanitary but um the way funeral homes are today, I mean, it's pretty yeah. sanitary, you know. Um, so, you know, and this this friend who whose funeral was last week, I mean, his wife said to me a few days before the funeral, I mean, before the service, because he died December 1st, you know, but they wanted to have it in April. Yeah. She said, I don't know if this was such a good idea, you know. 
no matter what you do, it's going to be hard. Oh, yeah. Um, So, I I mean, I I can see the value of the Mm -hmm. Brazilian culture, um, but there are times when the way Americans do it, too, can be good too so I you know it, it depends so much about the culture I think. exactly you know exactly thank you for listening to another slap top podcast this is Amanda signing off and I'll see you guys on the next one